Homily 19 of Homilies of St. John Chrysostom on 1 Corinthians, Part 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily 19, 1 Corinthians, Chapter 7, Verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the things whereof he wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of fornications, let every man have his own wife, and every woman have her own husband. Having corrected the three heaviest things laid to their charge, one the distraction of the church, another about the fornicator, a third about the covetous person, he thenceforward uses a milder sort of speech. He interposes some exhortation and advice about marriage and virginity, giving the hearer some respite from more unpleasant subjects. But in the second epistle he does the contrary, he begins from the milder topics and ends with the more distressing. And here also, after he has finished his discourse about virginity, he again launches forth into a matter more akin to reproof, not setting all down in regular order, but varying his discourse in either kind as the occasion required and the exigency of the matters in hand. Wherefore he says, now as concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. For they had written to him whether it was right to abstain from one's wife or not. And writing back an answer to this, and giving rules about marriage, he introduces also the discourse concerning virginity. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. For if, says he, thou inquire what is the excellent and greatly superior course, it is better not to have any connection whatever with a woman. But if what is safe and helpful to thine own infirmity be connected by marriage. But since it was likely, as also happens now, that the husband might be willing, but the wife not, or perhaps the reverse, mark how he discusses each case. Some indeed say that this discourse was addressed by him to priests, but I, judging from what follows, could not affirm that it was so since he would not have given his advice in general terms. For if he were writing these things only for the priests, he would have said, It is good for the teacher not to touch a woman. But now he has made it of universal application, saying, It is good for man, not for priest only. And again, art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. He said not, You who are a priest and teacher but indefinitely, and the whole of his speech goes on entirely in the same tone. And after he had said, Nevertheless, because of fornications, let every man have his own wife. By the very cause alleged for the concession, he guides man to countenance. Verse 3. Let the husband pay the wife the honor due to her, in like manner the wife the husband. Now what is the meaning of the due honor? The wife hath not power over her own body, but is both the slave and the mistress of the husband. And if you decline the service which is due, you have offended God. But if thou wish to withdraw thyself, it must be with the husband's permission, though it be but for a short time. For this is why he calls the matter a debt, to show that no one is master of himself but that they are servants to each other. When, therefore, thou seest an harlot tempting thee, 
Say, my body is not mine, but my wife's. The same also, let a woman say to those who would undermine her chastity, My body is not mine, but my husband's. Now if neither husband nor wife have power even over their own body, much less have they over their property. Hear ye all that have husbands and all that have wives, that you must not count your body your own, much less your money. Elsewhere I grant he gives to the husband abundant precedence, both in the New and the Old Testament, saying, Thy turning shall be towards thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Paul doth so too, by making a distinction thus, in writing, Husbands, love your wives, and let the wife see that she reverence her husband. But in this place we hear no more of greater and less, but it is one and the same right. Now why is this? Because his speech was about chastity. In all other things, says he, let the husband have the prerogative, but not so where the question is about chastity. The husband hath not power over his own body, neither the wife. There is great equality of honor and no prerogative. Verse 5. Defraud not one the other, except it be with consent for a time. What can this mean? Let not the wife, says he, exercise continence if the husband be unwilling, nor yet the husband without the wife's consent. Why so? Because great evils spring from this sort of continence. For adulteries and fornications and the ruin of families have often arisen from hence. For if, when men have their own wives, they commit fornication, much more if you defraud them of this consolation. And well, says he, defraud not. Fraud here and dead above, that he might show the strictness of the right of dominion in question. For that one should practice continence against the will of the other is defrauding. But not so, with the other's consent. Any more than I count myself defrauded, if after persuading me you take away anything of mine, since he only defrauds who takes against another's will and by force, a thing which many women do, working sin together than righteousness, and thereby becoming accountable for the husband's uncleanness and rendering all asunder, whereas they should value concord above all things. Now since this is more important than all besides, we will, if you please, consider it with a view to actual cases. Thus suppose a wife and husband, and let the wife be continent, without consent of her husband. Well then, if hereupon he commit fornication, or, though abstaining from fornication, fret and grow restless, and be heated, and quarrel, and give all kind of trouble to his wife, where is all the gain of the fasting and the continence? A breach being made in charity, there is none. For what strange reproaches, how much trouble, how great a war must of course arise, since when in a house man and wife are at variance, the house will be no better off than a ship in a storm, where the master is upon ill terms with the man at the head. Wherefore he saith, defraud not one the other, unless it be by consent for a time, that ye may have leisure for fasting and prayer. 
It is prayer with unusual earnestness, which he here means. For if he is forbidding those who have intercourse with one another to pray, how could pray without ceasing have any place? Is it possible then to live with a wife and yet give heed unto prayer? But by continence prayer is made more perfect. For he did not say merely that ye may pray, but that ye may have leisure for it. For though what he speaks of might cause, not uncleanness, but much occupation, and come together again that Satan tempt you not, thus, lest it should seem to be a matter of express enactment, he adds the reason, and what is it, that Satan tempt you not, and that you may understand that it is not the devil only who causeth this crime, I mean adultery, he adds, because of your incontinence. But this I say by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as I myself, in a state of continence. This he doth in many places, when he is advising about difficult matters, he brings forward himself and says, Be ye followers of me. But every one had his own gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. Thus, since he had heavily charged them, saying, For your incontinence, he again comforts them by the words, Every one hath his own gift of God, not declaring this, that towards that virtue there is no need of zeal on our parts, but, as I was saying before, to comfort them. For if it be a gift, and a man contributes nothing thereunto, how sayest thou, but I say to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they cannot contain themselves, let them marry. Do you see the strong sense of Paul, how he both signifies that countenance is better, and yet puts no force on the person who cannot attain to it, fearing lest some offense arise? For it is better to marry than to burn. He indicates how great is the tyranny of concupiscence, what he means is something like this. If you have to endure much violence and burning desire, withdraw yourself from your pains and toils, lest haply you be subverted. Verse 10. But to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. Because it is a law expressly appointed by Christ, which he is about to read to them, about the not putting away a wife without fornication. Therefore he says, not I. True it is that what was spoken before, though it be not expressly stated, yet it also is his decree. But this you see he had delivered in express words, so that the words I and not I have this difference of meaning, for that you might not imagine even his own words to be human. Therefore he added, for I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Now what is that which to be married the Lord hath commanded, that a wife should not be separated from her husband. But if she be separated, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled unto her husband, and that the husband should not put away his wife. Here, seeing that both on the score of continence and other pretexts, and because of infirmities of temper, it fell out that separations took place, it were better, he says, that such things should not be at all. But, however, if they take place, let the wife remain with her husband, 
if not to cohabit with him, yet so as not to introduce any other to be her husband. Verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother have a wife that believeth not, and she be well pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And if any woman have an husband that believeth not, and he be well pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For as when discoursing about separating from fornicators, he made the matter easy by the correction which he applied to his words, saying, Howbeit not altogether with the fornicators of this world. So also in this case he provideth for the abundant easiness of the duty, saying, If any wife have a husband, or husband a wife, that believeth not, let him not put her away. What sayest thou? If he be an unbeliever, let him remain with the wife, but not if he be a fornicator. And yet fornication is a less sin than unbelief. I grant fornication is a less sin, but God spares the infirmities extremely. And this is what he doth about the sacrifice, saying, Leave the sacrifice and be reconciled to thy brother. This also in the case of the man who owed ten thousand talents. For him too he did not punish for owing him ten thousand talents, but for demanding back a hundred pence from his fellow servant. He took vengeance on him. Then, lest the woman might fear, as though she became unclean because of intercourse with her husband, he says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. And yet, if he that is joined to an harlot is one body, it is quite clear that the woman also who is joined to an adulterer is one body. Well, it is one body. Nevertheless, she becomes not unclean. But the cleanness of the wife overcomes the uncleanness of the husband. And again, the cleanness of the believing husband overcomes the uncleanness of the unbelieving wife. How then, in this case, is the uncleanness overcome? And therefore the intercourse allowed, while in the woman with whom fornication was committed, the husband is not condemned in casting her out. Because here there is hope that the lost member may be saved through the marriage. But in the other case, the marriage has already been dissolved, and there again both are corrupted. But here the fault is in one only of the two. I mean something like this. She that has been but once guilty of fornication is abominable. If then he that is joined to an harlot is one body, he also becomes abominable by having connection with an harlot. Wherefore, all the purity flits away. But in the case before us, it is not so. But how? The idolater is unclean, but the woman is not unclean. For if indeed she were a partner with him, in that wherein he is unclean, I mean his impiety, she herself would also become unclean. But now the adulterer is unclean in one way, and the wife holds communion with him in another, wherein he is not unclean. For marriage and mixture of bodies is that wherein the communion consists. Again, there is a hope that this man may be reclaimed by his wife, for she is made completely his own. But for the other, it is not very easy. For how will she 
who dishonored him in former times and became another's and destroyed the rights of marriage have power to reclaim him whom she had wronged him moreover who still remains to her as an alien again in that case after the fornication the husband is not a husband but here although the wife be an idolatress the husband's rights are not destroyed however he doth not simply recommend cohabitation with an unbeliever but with this qualification that he wills it wherefore he saith and he himself be well pleased to dwell with her for tell me what harm is there when the duties of piety remain unimpaired and there are good hopes about the unbeliever that those already joined should so abide and not bring in occasions of all sorts of unnecessary warfare for the question now is not about those who have never yet come together but about those who are already joined he did not say if any one wished to take an unbelieving wife but if any one hath an unbelieving wife which means if any after marrying or being married have received the word of godliness and then the other party which had continued in unbelief still yearn for them to dwell together let not the marriage be broken off for saith he the unbelieving husband is sanctified by his wife so great is the superabundance of thy purity what then is the greek holy certainly not for he said not he is holy but he is sanctified by his wife and this he said not to signify that he is holy but to deliver the woman as completely as possible from her fear and lead the man to desire the truth for the uncleanness is not in the bodies wherein there is communion but in the mind and the thoughts and here follows the proof namely that if thou continuing unclean have offspring the child not being of thee alone is of course unclean or half clean but now it is not unclean to which effect he adds else were your children unclean but now are they holy that is not unclean but the apostle calls them holy by the intensity of the expression again casting out the dread arising from that sort of suspicion verse 15 but if the unbelieving depart let him depart for in this case the matter is no longer fornication but what is the meaning of if the unbelieving depart for instance if he bid thee sacrifice and take part in his ungodliness on account of thy marriage or part company it were better the marriage were annulled and no breach made in godliness wherefore he adds a brother is not bound nor yet a sister in such cases if day by day he buffet thee and keep up combats on this account it is better to separate for this is what he glances at saying but god hath called us unto peace and when it comes to that it is the other party who hath furnished the ground of separation even as he did who committed uncleanness verse sixteen for what knowest thou o wife whether thou shalt not save thine husband this again refers to that expression let her not leave him that is if he make no disturbance remain saith he for there is even profit in this remain and advise and give counsel and persuade 
for no teacher will have such power to convince as a wife, and neither on the one hand doth he lay any necessity upon her, and absolutely demand the point of her, that he may not again do what would be too painful, nor on the other hand doth he tell her to despair, but he leaves the matter in suspense, through the uncertainty of the future, saying, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? And again, verse 17, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. Is any one called being circumcised? Let him not be uncircumcised. As any called in uncircumcision, let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a slave? Care not for it. These things contribute nothing unto the faith, saith he. Be not then contentious, neither be troubled, for the faith hath cast out all these things. Let every one abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Hast thou been called, having an unbelieving wife? Continue to have her. Cast not out thy wife for the faith's sake. Hast thou been called being a slave? Care not for it. Continue to be a slave. Hast thou been called, being in uncircumcision? Remain uncircumcised. Being circumcised, didst thou become a believer? Continue circumcised. For this is the meaning of, as God hath distributed unto every man. For these are no hindrances to piety. Thou art called being a slave, another with an unbelieving wife, another being circumcised. Astonishing, where has he put slavery? As circumcision profits not, and uncircumcision does no harm, so neither doth slavery nor yet liberty but that he might point out this with surpassing clearness, he says, But even if thou canst become free, use it rather, that is, rather continue a slave. Now upon what possible ground does he tell the person who might be set free to remain a slave? He means to point out that slavery is no harm, but rather an advantage. No, we are not ignorant that some say the words, use it rather, are spoken with regard to liberty, interpreting it, If thou canst become free, become free. But the expression would be very contrary to Paul's manner if he intended this. For he would not, when consoling the slave and signifying that he was in no respect injured, have told him to get free. Since perhaps someone might say, What then, if I am not able? I am an injured and degraded person. This then is not what he says. But as I was explaining, meaning to point out that a man gets nothing by being made free, he says, though thou hast it in thy power to be made free, remain rather in slavery. Next he adds also the cause. For he that is called in the Lord, being a slave, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. For saith he, in the things that relate to Christ, both are equal. And like as thou art the slave of Christ, so also is thy master. How then is the slave a free man? Because he has freed thee not only from sin, 
but also from outward slavery, continuing a slave, for he suffers not even the slave to be a slave, not though he be a man abiding in slavery, and this is the great wonder. But how is the slave a free man while continuing a slave? When he is freed from passions and the diseases of the mind, when he looks down upon riches and wrath and all the other like passions. Verse 23, Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. This saying is addressed not only to slaves, but also to free men. For it is possible for one who is a slave not to be a slave, and for one who is a free man to be a slave. And how can one be a slave and not a slave? When he doeth all for God, when he feigns nothing, and doeth nothing out of eye service towards men, that is how one that is a slave to men can be free. Or again, how doth one that is free become a slave? When he serves men in any evil service, either for gluttony or desire of wealth, or for office sake, for such an one, though he be free, is of a more slavish sort than all men. And consider both these points. Joseph was a slave, but not a slave to men. Wherefore, even in slavery, he was freer than all that are free. For instance, he yielded not to his mistress, yielded not to the purposes which she who possessed him desired. Again, she was free, yet none ever so like a slave, courting and beseeching her own servant. But she prevailed not on him who was free to do what he would not. This then was not slavery, but it was liberty of the most exalted kind. For what impediment to virtue had he from his slavery? Let men hear, both slaves and free, which was the slave, he that was entreated or she that did entreat, she that besought or he that despised her supplication. In fact, there are limits set to slaves by God himself, and up to what point one ought to keep them. This is also exacted, and to transgress them is wrong. Namely, when your master commands nothing which is unpleasing to God, it is right to follow and to obey, but no further. For thus the slave becomes free, and if you go further, even though you are free, you are become a slave. At least he intimates this, saying, Be not ye the servants of men. But if this be not the meaning, if he bade them forsake their masters and strive contentiously to become free, in what sense did he exhort them, saying, Let every one remain in the calling in which he is called? And in another place, As many servants as are under the yoke, let them count their own masters worthy of all honor. And those that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren who partake of the benefit. And writing to the Ephesians also, and the Colossians, he ordains and exacts the same rules. Whence it is plain that it is not this slavery which he annuls, but that which, caused as it is by vice, befalls free men also, and this is the worst kind of slavery, though he be a free man who is in bondage to it. For what profit had Joseph's brethren to their freedom? Were they not more servile than all slaves, both speaking lies to their father and to merchants using false pretenses, as well as to their brother? But not such was the free man, 
Rather, everywhere, in all things, he was true, and nothing had power to enslave him, neither chain nor bondage, nor the love of his mistress, nor his being in a strange land. But he abode free everywhere, for this is liberty in the truest sense, when even in bondage it shines through. Such a thing is Christianity, and slavery to bestow freedom, and as that which is by nature an easily vulnerable body then shows itself to be invulnerable, when having received a dart it suffers no harm. So also he that is strictly free then shows himself, when even under masters he is not enslaved. For this cause his bidding is, remain a slave. But if it is impossible for one who is a slave to be a Christian, such as he ought to be, the Greeks will condemn true religion of great weakness. Whereas if they can be taught that slavery in no way impairs godliness, they will admire our doctrine. For if death hurt us not, nor scourges, nor chains, much less slavery, fire and iron and tyrannies innumerable, and diseases and poverty and wild beasts, and countless things are more dreadful than these, have not been able to injure the faithful men. Nay, they have made them even mightier. And how shall slavery be able to hurt? It is not slavery itself, beloved, that hurts. But the real slavery is that of sin. And if thou be not a slave in this sense, be bold and rejoice. No one shall have power to do thee any wrong, having the temper which cannot be enslaved. But if thou be a slave to sin, even though thou be ten thousand times free, thou hast no good of thy liberty. For tell me, what profit is it when, though not in bondage to a man, thou liest down in subjection to thy passions? Since men indeed often know how to spare, but those masters are never satiated with thy destruction. Art thou in bondage to a man? Why, thy master also is slave to thee. In arranging about thy food, in taking care of thy health and clothes, and in looking after thy shoes and all the other things. And thou dost not fear so much lest thou should offend thy master, as he fears lest any of those necessaries should fail thee. But he sits down whilst thou standest. And what of that, since this may be said of thee as well of him? Often at least, when thou art lying down and sleeping sweetly, he is not only standing, but undergoing endless discomforts in the marketplace and he lies awake more painful than thou. For instance, what did Joseph suffer from his mistress to be compared what she suffered from her evil desire? For he indeed did not the things which she wished to put upon him, but she performed everything which her mistress ordered her. I mean her spirit of unchastity, which left not off until it had put her to open shame. What master commands such things? What savage tyrant? Entreat thy slave, that is the word. Flatter the person, bought with thy money, supplicate the captive. Even if he reject thee with disgust, again beseech him. Even if thou speakest to him oftentimes, and he consent not. Watch for his being alone, and force him, and become an object of derision. What can be more dishonorable, what more shameful, than these words. And if even by these means you make no progress, why accuse him falsely and deceive your husband? Mark how mean, how shameful are the commands, how unmerciful and savage and frantic. 
What command does the master ever lay on his servant, such as those which her wantonness then laid upon that royal woman? And yet she dared not disobey. But Joseph underwent nothing of this sort, but everything on the contrary which brought glory and honor. Would you like to see yet another man under severe orders from a hard mistress, and without spirit to disobey any of them? Consider Cain, what commands were laid on him by his envy. He ordered him to slay his brother, to lie unto God, to grieve his father, to cast off shame. And he did it all, and in nothing refused to obey. And why marvel that over a single person so great should be the power of this mistress? She hath often destroyed entire nations. For instance, the Midianish women took the Jews and all but bound them in captivity. Their own beauty and kindling desire was the means of their vanquishing that whole nation. Paul then, to cast out this sort of slavery, said, Become not servants of men, that is, obey not men commanding unreasonable things. Nay, obey not yourselves. Then having raised up their mind and made it mount on high, he says, verse 25, Now concerning virgins I have no commandment of the Lord, but I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Advancing on his way in regular order, he proceeds next to speak concerning virginity. For after that he had exercised them and prescribed measures to them, in his words concerning continence. He goes forth towards what is greater, saying, I have not any commandment, but I esteem it to be good. For what reason? For the selfsame reason as he had mentioned respecting continence. Verse 27. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. These words carry no contradiction to what had been said before, but rather the most entire agreement with them. For he says in that place also, except it be by consent, as here he says, Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not separation. This is no contradiction, for its being against consent makes a dissolution. But if with consent both live continently, it is no dissolution. Then at least this should seem to be laying down a law. He subjoins, But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. He next alleges the existing state of things, the present distress, the shortness of the time, and the affliction. For marriage draws along with it many things, which indeed he hath glanced at, as well here as also in the discourse about continence, thereby saying, The wife hath not power over herself, and here by the expression, Thou art bound. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, he is not speaking about her who hath made choice of virginity, for if it comes to that, she hath sinned, since if the widows are condemned for having to do with second marriages after they have once chosen widowhood, much more the virgins, but such shall have trouble in the flesh. And pleasure too, you will say, but observe how he curtails this by the shortness of the time, saying, The time is short, that is, we are exhorted to depart now and go forth. But thou art running further in. And yet even although marriage had no troubles, even so ought we to press on towards things to come. But when it hath affliction too, what need to draw oneself from additional burden? What occasion to take up such a load, when even after taking it, you must use it as having it not? 
for those even that have wives must be, he saith, as though they had none. Then having interposed something about the future, he brings back his speech to the present, for some of his topics are spiritual, as that the one careth about the things which be her husband's, the other about those which be God's. Others relate to this present life, as I would have you without carefulness. But such with all this he leaves it to their own choice, inasmuch as he who, after proving what is best, goes back to compulsion, seems as if he did not trust his own statements. Wherefore he rather attracts them by concession, and checks them as follows. Verse 35. But this I speak for your own profit, that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may persevere in attendance. Let the virgins hear, that not by that one point is virginity defined, for she that is careful about the things of the world cannot be a virgin nor comely. Thus, when he said there is a difference between a wife and a virgin, he added this as the difference, that wherein they are distinguished from each other, and laying down the definition of a virgin, and her that is not a virgin, he names not marriage nor continence, but leisure and multiplicity of engagement. For the evil is not in the cohabitation, but in the impediment to the strictness of life. Verse 36. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, here he seems to be talking about marriage, but all that he says relates to virginity, for he allows even a second marriage, saying only in the Lord. Now what means in the Lord? With chastity, with honor, for this is needed everywhere and must be pursued, for else we cannot see God. Now if we have passed lightly by what he says of virginity, let no one accuse us of negligence, for indeed an entire book hath been composed by us upon this topic, and as we have there with all the accuracy which we could gone through every branch of the subject, we consider it a waste of words to introduce it all again here. Wherefore, referring the hearer to that work, as concerns these things, we will say this one thing here. It must follow after continence. For, saith he, follow after peace and holiness, without which no one shall see the Lord. Therefore, that we may be accounted worthy to see him, whether we be in virginity, or in the first marriage, or the second, let us follow after this, that we may obtain the kingdom of heaven, through the grace and loving kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom with the Father and the Holy Spirit be glory, power, honor, now henceforth and for everlasting ages. Amen. End of homily 19.